Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, listeners. We are Octavia's Parables a podcast in which we read chapter by chapter through Octavia E. Butler's parable series. We are on chapter 15 this week, and I am your co-host, Adrian Marie Brown. And I'm Toshi Regan. And do we have any announcements this week, Toshi? We'll have a lot of music available by the time this comes out, so look for it. That's awesome. I'm still just like holding changes in the world. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I know with this book, I haven't really thought even about promotion. And I'm like, oh, at some point I need to think about that because I just don't tend to. I'm just like, I don't know. There's yeah. a book. Read that if you want to. Um, but so this is my promotion. <laughs> it's like if you read Octavia Butler's work, then this book will probably be for you as well. Yeah. Well, you also got to gotta do the promotion because... I can't tell you how many places where people are like teaching or using emergent strategy. Yeah. So it's, it's like you can see that there is the need for this text and they <laughs> need to know about it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's yeah. how I felt when it came out. I was like, oh, this helps you understand the ideas as far as I yeah. understand them so far. And then holding change is really practice like at the level of practicing facilitation. And it really is. It's organized by the elements. So it's like. Fractal facilitation, intentional adaptation in facilitation, decentralized facilitation, and and the same with mediation. So, and it's it's I really looked at like the Tao Te Ching as my model. I was like, how can I keep it brief, but still yeah. cover what needs to be covered? So, um, yeah. you know, we'll see if if I achieved that. But so far, the feedback is good. I've gotten really good responses from people, and it's number one in the running meetings category of okay. book sales, which I did That's not right. know was a category, but yeah. I have not I'm heard so of that. I'm so excited that it is. <laughs> and it feels like the right place to be number one. <laughs> so, That's right. Um, that's right. So that's what's happening. I don't have mine. I don't have yeah. mine yet. So I don't, I can't be like, I'm you know, furious. Thank Toshi. you for this. What the heck? I, I, I know. Cause <laughs> I, I mean, it I, just I, came out. <laughs> so it's okay. But I mailed away, you know, like I got Alexis's book before the date. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. No, you should have yours yeah, already. Yeah. So I need to check and see. I'll, what, that's I'll like, call you know. the people and I'll be like, do you know who Toshi <laughs> yeah, Regan Toshi is? Book? Do you know who Toshi <laughs> Regan is in my life? Uh, so here we are. I want us to sort of take a moment of it's not quite celebration with our readers, but there is like a exhale that we can start to shift into with this chapter that Camp Christian has burned to the ground and our, our people, Lauren and the Earthseed survivors are making their way through the the world, making their way out, out of Camp Christian out of this experience. And, and this next chapter really covers the first few days, first week after this extraction, uprising, taking down, liberation. So yes. that's where we are. And Toshi, take us in. Mm. Mm-hmm. We have lived before. We will live again. We will be silk, stone, mind, star. We will be scattered, gathered, molded, probed, we will live and we will serve life. We will shape God and God will shape us again, always again, forevermore. Earth seed, the books of the living. And I just have to say that I want to uplift Larkin. You know, earlier when we was reading like what she had to say about her mom, we were just like, oh my goodness, she's so salty. Like, you know, why doesn't she have any room? You know, like, she was and so mad at Earthseed and, and then kind of you could see poke out some um, admiration for, you know, some of the choices and was like, well, if only she was like, I'll be a teacher or I'll do this and just forgot about the Earthseed, then she'd be like perfect. And these are last chapters. We are getting much more information about about her life. Yeah. And and the and the. And some information about some of the other kids. So I start to recognize that her intention on learning about her mother is 
it's more than just like, let me see if I can prove this person wrong because they left me. It's It has to do with a a weaving and creation of her her sense of herself. Yeah. And and that's what she says at the beginning, to get to know myself, I have to get to know my mom. That's so, right. You know, so big enough, Larkin. Um, she is giving us this valuable information. The Crusaders deliberately divided siblings. When they stole the children, they didn't want the siblings to go into the same places, and so they separated them. They they were afraid that siblings would try to take care of each other and and help each other survive the horrors of being separated from their families. And it it actually, you know, was a strategy that kind of worked as she um she points out the the faircloth boys um one of them became like completely Christian American everything and the other was like I'm not about that life. I rejected it completely. And uh uh Ramon, how would I say this name? I say Figueroa. You say Figueroa? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, this this brother committed suicide because, you yeah. know, he was not able to deal with where he was. And his foster brother said he was too stubborn and he wouldn't fit in and blamed his sinful past. So she thinks about Lauren's words given, my mother said to the adults of Acorn, do as you're told and keep your own counsel. Don't give them excuses to hurt you. Bide your time, watch your captors, listen to them, collect information, pull it and use it against them. But she says the kids never heard that. They didn't know that. They didn't have that. They were snatched right away. And so they each um, were out in the world trying to figure out what to do with the people they got stuck with. Um, she also does this thing I just think is really important. Again, look at, look at trajectory and look at systems that you know, at the beginning seemed to be like cool and wonderful, like, you know, a free Gmail account. And (laughs) (laughs) wow, what's this? (laughs) What what bad could happen? Cool technology offer. Wow, so interesting. And we don't have to pay for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So she's just looking at that, that actually Christian America started out as like literally what they said they were going to do is, uh, you know, help children who are orphaned and rescue kids in need and do all these wonderful things. But at as the Jarrett regime started to form, they started to take over um, these structures and institutions that were already in existence and they changed the intention of them completely yes. to um, to use to be destructive. And so... Larkin says in preparation for this book, I spoke with several people who were raised in the CA children's homes or who were adopted from CA homes into CA families. And what they told me reminded me of my own life with the Alexanders. And it's really like these Mm -hmm. homes could be terrible. They were awful places. It was not like, you know, it's, it's, it's using God as, you know, as the, as a way to punish and hurt and control and, you know, picking the text that will help you do that and then just doing what you want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So she said the Alexanders were like a combination of the believer and the mercenary. And I just really am grateful for Octavia for that line. Yes. The believer and the mercenary. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Alexanders, you know, people who love you and love love like a Christian God and they really love you. I have to say, these are my people. They are nice people. Okay. Like they are not, (laughs) they are wonderful people. Like my grandmother, like she wanted you to go to church, but she Mm -hmm. wasn't like screaming at you and hitting you if you didn't. She was like, this is going to be fun. The music is going to be great. Just sit in the pew and listen. Yes, you can go take the money on the table. Let's get some Jesus in your life. Let's get some Jesus in your life. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, nice people. (laughs) It's like this is like you know and my mom raised baptist but was like you figure out your life what you want to do i don't have any desire (laughs) to like make you do anything so they really her her torturous parents really wanted her to believe and she knows they didn't love her they just took care of her and um she went to the school she went to the christian american school and she learned all the things and she just starts to call them casey and madison Yep. And she's, if she got really good at that, they would leave her alone. And she was like, Madison took a break from trying to get his sweaty hands under her dress. 
Um, I cannot with this person at all. So she started to develop this, this practice of, you know, getting her books and going somewhere and just reading in the house or in the yard, finding a corner, reading these Bible stories. She did have the dream of making, you know, Casey um, proud. And she wanted to, you know, be aligned with the love that Casey had for her daughter, uh, Kamaria, who, you know, as I said, last chapter was, um, she died in the war. And, uh, mm-hmm. as a, and when a, when a missile hit Seattle, mm-hmm. um, so she died in the war and Kamaria is everything. And so Larkin's like, I can be everything too. And, but she, she never could. So mm-hmm. Kamaria is small and dainty and she was like, I'm an oversized kid, but she says, you would think it would be hard for an oversized kid like me to hide, but it wasn't. Um, if I did my chores and my homework, I was encouraged to vanish, or rather, I wasn't encouraged to do anything else. And she goes on and talks about like what it was like to be in her neighborhood and that, mm-hmm. you know, she just didn't really have friends and people who cared about her. And more importantly, she didn't, nobody loved her um, in this scenario. So she learned that quiet was good and questioning was bad. And she says, thinking and questioning were bad. I was to be like a sheep in Christ's flock or Jared's flock. I was to be quiet and meek. Once I learned that, my childhood was at least physically comfortable. So big up Larkin, taking the, the you know, tough path of um, really writing down what you experienced that was incredibly traumatic. Yeah. And then trying to also write the path of her mother's life, which is also incredibly traumatic. So here we are with Lauren Alamina, Sunday, March 4th, 2035. Mm. And she is writing furiously. So much has happened. So much has happened. And she is like, I've caused them to happen. I must get back to normal, to knowing and admitting, at least to myself, when I cause things. Um, Slaves are always told that they've caused something bad, done something sinful, made stupid mistakes. Good things were the acts of our teachers or of God, but things were our our fault. So I love this. I love that Lauren is like, let me say the truth of the matter is I have made something happen. And um, and this is a, a beautiful thing. So they have they have gone out of Camp Christian, they have burned it down. And early in this chapter, Lauren says, I broke up Earthsea. She's she's like, we're not, I've, 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 I've said that we are going to survive. And in order to, um, we're going to, we're going to break up. Yes. And so, um, but she goes on to, before that, she tells you, uh, we are not slaves anymore. I've done this. I've sent my people away. We've survived slavery together, but I didn't believe that we could survive freedom together. I broke up the Ursi community and sent its parts in all directions. And this is something that she just kind of can't believe she's doing, but yeah. that she is like, this is the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I know I may not see them ever again. So she gives us a little backstory. Um, we escaped Camp Christian. It was bur- burning the camp and our keepers. As we went, we left behind the bones of our dead and the dream of Acorn as the first Earthseed community. And they they basically went to all of their caches. They found their money. They found all of the things and all the money they took from the teachers uh, since they're all now homeless and jobless. And she... Um, she said the problem is um, they don't dare to take any phones from camp because they are worried that they could be traced. Yeah. So they don't have any way of getting in touch with anybody else. Like if somebody has relatives somewhere, they can't call anybody. Yeah. So they're really out there um, on their own. They're going into the mountains and they're finding a place together. And they go deep, 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 deep until they find like a little cave and they settle into this cave um they get everything and they have a lot their practice of digging these holes and putting things into the holes and like 
having a way to know where the holes were and digging them in a way that they could survive like the weather for years and things yes. um, is the saving grace. I'm like trying to think, do I have something dug somewhere in a hole that mm-hmm. I can run to? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. Um, yeah. So they, but the most important thing they find, um, not the most important, but the one that's heart connection and possibility is the uh, prints of the feet of the children. And so she hands those out to the parents, um, the Morris sisters, because they don't have their parents aren't alive, get their brother's prints. And um, this is a really amazing process. She goes on and tells um, the beautiful, you know, story of what people do when they get them. Everybody does uh, something a little different. Um, And as they're looking at these, these prints, she's sitting next to Harry and this is the beginning of the release. Like her and Harry are looking at the prince. They're they're just together and they both just start to crack open. And it's just the tears and the, the howling and and they she says, you know, when she the time it's about seventeen months that they were enslaved. And they all are just having this incredibly needed release, acknowledgement, all of the words that say something that's been stuck in you has to come out. This is the beginning of right. that of that process. And um, they, they fall asleep. And when they wake up the next day, everybody is kind of partnered up. Yeah. You know, um, the Mora sisters are together, but but several people find somebody to be next to. And um, and so they kind of fall into these kind of couples i just want to say kind of couples and not like because we don't know what's going on they're just like right that night who is holding me through this pain and then she realizes that um Allie was alone Mm -hmm. and so they they take um harry and uh and lauren as they're getting breakfast they they put Allie in between the two of them Mm -hmm. and they just you know i think that's such a beautiful thing just to realize like Mm -hmm how to be connected and held um, and how important that is. So they begin to try to put themselves together as respectable human beings again. For so long, we have been filthy slaves and filthy rags, cultivating filthy habits and hope of avoiding rape or lashings. I found myself longing for a deep tub of hot, clean water. I literally wanted to run her a bath of water Did when you? I read like, Yeah. I was like, look, come come here. And this is a another like, you know, acknowledgement of a truth. She says, My ancestors in this hemisphere were by law chattel slaves. In the US, they were chattel slaves for two and a half centuries, at least ten generations. I used to think I knew what that meant. Now I realize that I can't begin to imagine the many terrible things that it must have done to them. How did they survive it all and keep their humanity? Certainly, they were never intended to keep it just as we weren't. And, you know, my mom has this amazing song, uh, I Remember, I Believe. I was thinking about that song, (laughs) Toshi, the last time when Larkin said, I don't know how my mother survived slavery. You know, basically that lyric. That's the song. Yeah, you know, um, that's that's a great song. Y'all should go listen to that song. Yeah. My mother, Sweet Honey in the Rock, I Remember, I Believe. And then my sister, Liz Wright, um, I produced a version that she, she recorded, which is oh, also wow. beautiful. The song is I Remember, I Believe. Please go listen to it. It's it's such a great song. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the truth. I don't know if you have a question about, like, you know, that thing because of of how people are like why are you still talking about slavery and then you're like yes yeah okay um and then that kind of is like a a break it's like a break with this state of recovery in this particular kind of way and then she's like it's time to go and tomorrow she is going to break up she is going to tell everyone we must go our separate ways and um you know they they were collared and they managed to free themselves. So she says to them as a as an opening, hey, you know, Ersty continues. And nobody is really wanting to hear anything about this. It's just, 
it was devastating to me when I read this the first time. I remember like maybe I threw the book against the wall. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And at first people can't see even a possibility, you know, um, Aubrey Dovetree demands like, what can we do? And then, and then Harry backs up Lauren and says, we've got to split up. We've got to go our separate ways and find our kids. Nina Neuer is just like, no, uh, absolutely not. And, you know, Nina has seen uh-huh. eons of trauma and has lost so many people. And I just really felt for her. But Lauren says, you can come with me. And my family is gone too. So come with me. We'll look for your sisters and my daughter and Allie's son. Yeah. And, um, and then she, but she wants everybody to stay together and she cries and then she explains, like, if everybody stays together, like, we're going to be, it's harder for us to move. We'll be identified easier if we separate and we stay in small groups. It'll be, it'll, we'll be safer. So Doe and Tori also are looking for, like, who they will be with. Yeah. And, and Doe says, I'm pregnant. And she's kind of like, this goes to, um, Doe and Tori um, being discovered as sharers and um, Doe and Tori being discovered as sharers, I think during the, the, maybe the day uprising. And, and so they got, got raped more. Yes. Um, And so Lauren really tries to pull the, the shame away and says this, you know, it's, it's a wonder, like we're here and, these things happen to all of us and like, you know, that she is not alone or isolated in a condition and that they're with her. So Travis and the TV dad travel with, uh, with Doe and Tori and they go on and on. They start to, um, you know, split up the group and then they make a place, a meeting place near what was the Redwood forest that you could go to. And they make this place and they agree to meet, once every two months for a year. Yeah. And they are very much helped by uh, the caches that they have. They're very much helped by the the practices that they have. They are very much helped by like the, the determination to find kids. Yeah. They're, they have like, what do I call like a really helpful adrenaline about them, even and we can all imagine how exhausted they are. Yeah. And Lauren says, you are Earthseed. You always will be. I love you. I love you all. And she stopped for a moment because she was like basically about to cry. And she says, not everyone in this country stands with Andrew Jarrett. We know that Jarrett will pass and we will still be here. We know more about survival than most people. The proof is that we have survived. We have tools that other people don't have and that they need. The time will come again when we can share what we know. And she paused and said, stay well, I told them, and take care of each other. Mm. So they all they all hug, they cry, they do all of the things. And then um, Lauren is alone with Allie, Harry, and Nina. And they go through the mud, they're heading north, and they basically go, I don't know if y'all can remember, Georgetown. And um, and she thought Georgetown would be a good place because it's a place to gather information. It's a good place to pick up information, I said. And, and because I know Dolores, Ramos, George, she may not be able to help us, but she won't talk about our being there. And Harry nodded. And Nina asked, what is Georgetown? And then uh, Lauren says, a, a squatter settlement, a big nasty one. We went there when we were looking for your sisters. And then <laughs> Allie says, they're all right. They don't turn people in. And then <laughs> and those were the first sentences they heard from Allie from, since uh, she was terribly uh, attacked mm-hmm. um, when she was betrayed. So this chapter, this chapter ends with a ray of light. And with Allie's words, they're all right. We can look for Justin from Georgetown. 15. Thank you. Yeah, there's so much in this chapter that is like how resilience actually looks in practice. You know, I think resilience 
both gets overused, you know, it's like we need to be resilient. And I think it also sometimes gets a bad rap, like tired of being resilient. We're tired of <laughs> bouncing back. We're tired of returning. But I think this is this chapter shows the kind of resilience that we want to be developing in ourselves and in our community, which is like we can feel, we can grieve, and we can begin to move forward. We can begin, we can keep going. Like we can figure out the next purpose for ourselves. So the questions I have here really are um, moving through this and understanding ourselves in relationship to something larger than ourselves. Because I think this chapter starts to return them from the body purely under attack to the Mm -hmm. body that is a part of a community that needs to stay safe. So the first question is, do you understand yourself as a part of nature? I love this earth seed verse. And it feels like it's such a, like we are part of the cycle that is a forever more cycle. And the things that happen to us are not forever, but we are of the same elements as everything else. And how do you understand yourself in that? Does it comfort you? You know, the Larkin piece, this one, which is just an aside, Larkin's aside, but it it really deeply, like, it rang like a bell for me when I read it that she said that she was oversized. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the protective devices she used to avoid sexual assault and, and survive through that. And so I wanted to ask, Listeners, you know, if you've never reflected on this, to spend some time on it. If you have, really think about it and talk about it. Um, have you explored the connection between weight and size and sexual assault survival? Right? I know so many people, including myself, for whom our weight is a direct result of surviving sexual assaults and surviving sexual harms in some way. And I thought it was really fascinating that it was written in here. We don't hear a ton about Larkin as a body. We don't mm-hmm. see her necessarily. No, she's mm-hmm. telling us who she is. And so this is kind of, and I think of both Lauren and Boncole as like, you know, these people are like walking all the time. They both are described as like very fit, as very active. Right. Um, and, you know, we don't know that oversized means not active, right? We don't right. know that. But it's interesting that that's the one, one of the few words we hear her use to describe herself. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. It also makes me think of the work of um, Roxanne Gay, mm-hmm. and hunger. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. which I'm so grateful for. Yeah, I think I really do feel that that is her masterpiece. Like that mm. is, it's a masterpiece of this time. That yeah, work, that book. Yeah. Um, but then there's a larger question for me of how do child rescue operations avoid fanaticism and harm. Um, children are in such a fragile, precarious position, relying on adults around them to be safe. And it feels like it's so hard to actually create conditions in which children are kept safe. Um, Mm. So what are best practices for that, right? If we need to, if we do need, as we often do need to be able to rescue children from war conditions or man-made crises or other things, are there ways to do that? And then what happens? How do we resist when that strategy is being used to basically destroy culture, destroy our culture, Mm. destroy others' cultures. Related to Larkin's um, understanding around how she survives her familial experience is really who can be invisible and how do we become invisible as a survival Mm. strategy? And ultimately, how do we move from invisibility, survival-based invisibility, back into visibility. Like, do we know how Mm. to do that? When is it safe to be seen? How do we know when it's safe to be seen? In a lot of ways, Larkin writing and doing this research is a way of starting to see herself, see her whole story. And she's telling her story. Like, I want you to see me in context of this story. So there's something, you know, when I step back big picture, I'm like, oh, there's some big healing happening here. So now we, I want to talk about what the ACORN survivors are doing, which is, well, first of all, that technical question of burying things. Have you buried anything? <laughs> Do you have anything buried <laughs> that you need? And if you don't, what would you bury? Where would you bury it? Why not go ahead and bury some stuff? Yeah? Yeah. I uh, highly recommend, 10 out of 10 would recommend based on what happens in this book. It feels like so important that they have the things that they buried for themselves to return to. Mm. 
A second question is, how do we give ourselves time to grieve? How do we give ourselves time to grieve, to recognize that we're in a place where we can grieve? Like, when is it behind us enough that we can grieve? How do we grieve? And remember the unimaginable, right? The What they've gone through in this enslavement is really unimaginable, but they know it because they've survived it. And right. they each experienced a different portion of this hardship. They each have horrific stories. One of the things I really appreciate here is as Octavia writes this, she's not placing these sufferings in competition with each other. It's just, this is happening. Like there is suffering. We all suffered and we don't have to compete or compare. It's like everyone just suffered immensely. And now we're all grieving immensely. So I think that how do we grieve and and how do we face what we need to grieve collectively? Mm-hmm. And then thinking about how they center Allie, literally put Allie between Lauren and Harry to make sure that she is not alone. Um, I have this question of how do we still center the most vulnerable, even when we're all bereft? Yeah. Right? How do we not leave anyone alone? And that act of n- everyone moving towards each other, <laughs> Everyone finding someone to hold and to sleep next to really feels like present moment, you know, that that feels like the moment we're in right now of everyone moving out. You know, we have a much different but similar time frame thing that we're coming through together, right? right? Where there's some of us who have shared belief systems who've gone through this pandemic and been practicing mutual aid and figuring this out with each other. And then there's a lot of other belief systems, and we somehow are all moving through this moment. There's not a collective we. There's not a collective like center to hold it all. We've just made it mm. through. And we all suffered. We have all suffered inside of it in a variety of ways. And then there are those who have lost their whole families. There are those yeah. who lost their job, and there are those who've lost their homes. And so I, I wanted to make it present as we shift you know, into, oh, more people are vaccinated and less people have to wear masks and that. How do we still center those who are most vulnerable and who lost unimaginable amounts of of life and normalcy and stability and love during this time? That's, that's really something important to think about because, well, I might be stepping on a question you have, so tell me if I am. But I think looking at Lauren, reflecting on, you know, the history of slavery in this country and saying, I had a sense of it. Like I thought I had a sense of it. Yes. You know, and, and, um, and that's like, you know, she's like 250 years and (laughs) I thought I had a sense of it. And, uh, you know, it's really great to think like, I still am like on March 7th, I was in Los Angeles and this was, this was happening. And we, I was on a stage singing and, and I, I'm still like moving through the whole calendar and I'm remembering all of these musicians that just died and that it was like several a day. There'd be yes. postings on, you know, and last night I went to, to dinner with a, a friend of mine and I was like, oh, you know, we're not exactly doing the distance like you know like me and her we we are aligned so we could but I was like these people I don't know are a little bit too close to me Mm -hmm. like you know (laughs) and like just making adjustments for that and I was like oh this is like an intentional forgetting oh you know this is like an intentional like I'm you know I'm moving on and I I and I feel that a lot right now we're might be incapable of taking steps forward and holding you know, our memory and holding what we have just gone through and having that be a part of the equation of, of forward moving. I don't I don't know if we have that. I agree with you. And I also feel like my heart feels this strong sense of like, oh, like the decision makers have basically decided that if you didn't get a vaccine by now, you're expendable. Mm. basically, you know, mm-hmm. for them to say like, we're just going to start lifting these guidelines and you don't have to yeah. wear masks and you don't have to do this. And it's like, you know, <laughs> um, there's a ton of people who mm-hmm. still don't have that vaccine and 
we could have whatever feelings we have about that, but it's basically saying like, if you made that choice too bad for you, yeah. like there will be no guidelines still in place to protect you. And I, I just think there's something like, do we all just go along with that? Because, right, we're the fair cloth sisters, you know, we're just sort of like, well, too bad for y'all. We're going to go be in this house <laughs> and take our mask off and like chill, you know. I, yeah. I just think that there's moments like that where it's like, oh, what is individual need and how does it intersect with collective responsibility? Mm. And then how do we notice that we're not all, like we've all suffered and we're not all in the same level of vulnerability or risk right now. And once again, so much is being processed at the interpersonal level that actually I think would be better served at being a structural holding, right? But we don't have that collective culture of structurally holding anything. No. Um, So yeah, I think that piece, you know, I'm really paying attention to uh, friends of mine that I know experienced a lot of close loss during this period. I'm really still just like feeding and nurturing my ancestor altar and just noticing mm-hmm. like this is the most names that have been added to it in my lifetime in a short, you know, in a, within a one year period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I, that I'm not alone. Like all of us are in that state where it's just like, Oh, we lost, we lost so many. Um, and, and we weren't even in the same level of attack, right? It wasn't enslavement. Right. So then trying to imagine, oh, take it to that level. Yeah. You know, and then, oh, take it to the level of not just a generation, not just two generations, but 250 plus years. Um, And so, you know, when I think of it that way, I'm like, of course we haven't (laughs) survived and then recovered from slavery. Like Mm -hmm. there's been no moment to really just sit in the ritual process of release at a collective level. And I think that's another big part of what I see happening in this chapter, which is a big question I have, is what are the rituals for collective loss? What are the rituals for collective release of Mm. suffering and of pain? I think about this, like in in the somatics world, we talk about how when a creature survives, like a, a predator is chasing them and they manage to make it away from the predator, there's this moment where they pause and shake their whole body out. And shake out like all the energy and the adrenaline and the like life that had to gather in them in order to survive. And we don't take those collective moments to say we have to pause. We have to move this out, right? Um, right. We have to actually shake it out, sing it out, dance it out, you know, burn it out, right? Like it needs to be released. So I I appreciate that they have ritual as a piece of how their culture is held it's it's really 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 important they have the like a final gathering too before they go off their separate ways when I think about that um I remember I was asking like some people from civil rights and where I was like so when they didn't when they want somebody to be around like you know you could see that, that they would like kill people they would do yeah. these these things. And then um, when we got like in the 80s and not that this was a, a great, you know, president for us or anything, but it was a transformative election that went built the Bill Clinton election. And my mom was, <laughs> was like, yo, my mom doesn't say yo, but <laughs> I'm like, putting yo, she yo, no. she's like, yo, Toshi. But she was like, oh, this is so interesting. <laughs> And I was like, why? And she's like, because he's the the first, I think, the Demo- first Democrat in like eons who had outraised the Republicans. Yeah. And and she was like, that's that's not going to be good. <laughs> and, and then, mm. you know, they started attacking him. They And she's like, mm. and then she's like, this is the, you know, she's like, back in the day, they just would have killed him. Like now they're like, no, let's just have him do these hearings. Let's bust him because he's doing something wrong. We all know what he's doing. Yeah. Like, let's make that, let's try to get him out of office. And, mm. you know, the thing with um, Obama, you know, we're all like, well, that was the president that got elected by people, you know, that like that nobody, you know, thought, I didn't think, I was like, no, my friend Karen Thompson was like, we're voting for Obama. She said that like, almost the day he jumped in. And I was yeah. like, really? Do you think it can happen? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But the way that, that um, you know, you get in trouble 
for taking your the big leaps. So then the next president is is Trump. Right. And the next administration is diabolical. So mm-hmm. It's diabolical, like what's happening now. Like they just swung all the way. They went way went back to the 19th century. Yes. They, you know, and and they used all of the tools. Like it's not a you know coincidence that the Supreme Court has like three people that helped Bush steal the election in it. Exactly. So exactly. it's it is it is it is quite the thing, you know. It's quite, quite the thing. Yeah. As, yeah. Yeah. I'm just shaking my head, y'all. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, it's it's also thinking about these, like, we are always trying to make these small moves mm-hmm. inside of these massive shifts of culture and politic and change and keeping our eyes, you know, it's like trying to figure out, like, how much do we keep our eyes on these large shifts because they will trickle down to us, right? Like Octavia does that so well in this. And she's like, here's what's happening with Jarrett. Here's what's happening at the national level. And then here's how we are experiencing it. Like there's actually no safety in staying as a large group. Like yeah. it would be egotistical and dangerous, right? For them to be like, well, we're going to put our foot down and be earthseed as a big community. She's like, this country does not care about us. It mm-hmm. left us to die and be tortured. And so yep. we're gonna we're gonna roll into this next period of our story of Earthseed and history at a small scale. And I think a a question I have for people to sit with is what is the scale or size of safety for your group, for your community? Mm. So often I think we are driven to just be growing, 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 base building, base building, base building, like get the numbers up. And then I think we go through periods where it's like, are we actually safe in those larger numbers? Or do we need to figure out, like, what is the scale at which we can actually be learning and practicing and governing and shifting things? And I think there can be a mass scale of lots of small experiments. But I'm really curious for people, like, do you sit and think about that before you start to move towards growth? Um, And likewise, I think it's so mature of Lauren to be like, Ursi exists, but we're breaking up the, the group. Mm-hmm. And the question it makes me think of or set of questions is, do you know when it's time to relinquish form for function or Ooh. for survival or for the ideas that you espouse being committed to and caring about for those ideas to survive? Yeah. Right? Like, do you, are you able to recognize when whatever form you're holding is actually causing damage to the community or damage to the concepts? Right. Because mm. Ursid, if she insisted upon it, it would I think that would have been truly the end of the ideas of Ursid. They would have died with mm-hmm. the that handful of people. Yeah. And my final question for this chapter is actually what is the purpose of Ursid in this phase of their story? Mm. Right. So if we know that destiny is to take root amongst the stars, what is the purpose of Ursid at this time? You know. Mm. So it's such a, it, the other chapter is so hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, this is such a, a great, you know, thing to think about, like that you even have the time to think about what is it, how is it helping us? How is it supporting us? I feel a little bit of the answer is in Lauren's talk to them. Absolutely. Saying like, well, like we know, we know things people don't know. We have, like she's telling them how they can make it. Yeah. We have skills other people don't have. Like we... Yeah you know, that this is, this is our possibilities. Absolutely. Carrying with us. Absolutely. And I think there's also, you know, I'm really struck by their, their purpose is also to find their children, you know, to find that next generation. Their, their seed is out there in the world and they have to be stealthy and smart about this, but they're like, those are still our kids (laughs) and we have to go get them, you know, but I think that idea of, Having a purpose is one of the ways we know we have come out or past the most intense survival mode, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you know, I'm not trying to navigate everything right now. I'm just, just, yeah. just, just getting one foot in front of the other, one moment in front of the other, right? One, one day of surviving in front of the next, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that is very hard. It's like the purpose is purely to stay alive. And we have those periods 
right? Yes. Or to avoid harm even. It's like, if I have to die, let, let me not be tortured. You know, there's moments mm-hmm. like that. And then there's these pivotal moments where it's like, okay, actually there's something that's driving us and that driving us will help us grieve. It'll help us focus. It'll help us to survive into this next period. So think about I what see. is the purpose of Earthseed and, and really, you know, if you want to go there, what is our purpose in this time? Mm. I love it. I'm I'm going to think about that. Yeah. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. I want to yeah. I want to raise up like a contemporary issue that I think applies to this, which is um I hear it. You know, uh the great Nicole Hannah Jones who oh. who did the 1619 project. Yep. And I think right now we are witnessing the power of our connective healing. around you know around slavery in the united states and that that many of us are you know are are surfacing it and writing about it and singing about it and do and like saying oh this is this is a part of the story and not letting it you know fall back and disappear in the viciousness of which like you know unc um she's a scholar she's a teacher she was asked to come and teach and on a 10 year track. And there's a yes. lot about this. If you don't understand what that is, you can Google really quickly and it'll come right up. Mm-hmm. And she, she, she's brilliant. And so everybody was like, yes, yes, oh, yes. yes, yes, I mean, yes, she's yes, won yes. The, what Pulitzer, the Peabody, the MacArthur genius grant, like she's written like incredibly dynamic pieces, um, she's, like yeah. reshaping cultural pieces and then the 1619 project. So, yeah. The 1619 project and the 1619 project is, is the thing that is getting, yeah. it is getting literally legislated against in multiple states across the country. You cannot teach this in school and it's extending in some places. You can't teach about slavery or you can't teach about race. You know, when I was going off about the way that that you are getting attacked for your, you know, your um, progress and moving this country into a, a, a direction away from violence and destruction. This is a, a great, a great example of what's happening. And I just want to say, I bet there is a correlation between the, the the states that are trying to legislate against this project and the states that are uh, legislating against health care for trans youth. Mm-hmm. So it's you, all of these things are, are working together. And um, a lot of us signed a, a document. Tanahasi Coates wrote a beautiful letter around this because we, we don't want to pretend like this isn't a huge, the huge thing. This is that not about is. somebody exactly. not getting a job. She's, she has a job. They, they figured out a workaround, you know, she's going to be teaching. This is about, this is about the way that she was singled out and attacked and then right. further attacked in the states around the country, like little laws against this. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, this is, I feel like this is, you know, and it's like, what time is it on the clock of the world? Right now, it is the time when Black women are being explicitly attacked by white supremacists from coast to coast, like north to south, everywhere. And and not just Black women, Black leaders, you know, those who mm-hmm. are actually like, we will sh- reshape the culture. You, we will not end up back in 45 America. We will not go backwards to slavery. We'll not go backwards to Jim Crow. And we're organizing our way out of it. And this is that moment when that backlash comes and yeah. I'm so grateful that that letter exists. I'm also grateful that you're lifting it up here because it's like these things are all deeply connected, right? Yes, that kind are. of cultural warfare is how the ground gets laid for what is allowed to be spoken and not spoken and what gets normalized and not normalized. And that collective commitment to forgetting the egregious harms that this country has done and is built on and is still practicing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't practice. You can't take accountability for things you won't even acknowledge happened. That's like, right. Right. And Nicole Hannah Jones is saying this happened. This happened. Yes. And you know, to affirm me <laughs> would be yeah. to say that this happened. And the balking. You know, I'm excited because we're about to move to North Carolina, so I could be up in there like. <laughs> uh, oh, yo! I'm mm-hmm. coming, coming with you. And yeah, so we just need to. Shout out the UNC Board of Trustees. We're doing a horrible job. and yeah. But for once again, showing their true colors, because these are the same people who were like, let's give $2.5 million 
to whatever organization when the the people tore down the the Silent Sam statue finally. Yes. So this is also another, you know, intentional pathway um using the you know, and I and I have a fellowship at UNC. I just want to say, yes, that's great <laughs> to Carol- know. I'm like, hold the Carol- Toshi <laughs> through Carolina Performing Arts. What's up? Yes, and yep. um, and I was like, but 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 you know, nobody's like nobody's standing standing for this. Like lots of people on campus and community nationwide, worldwide, we see y'all acting out, and we calling you out on this and fighting back. So yes, um, yeah, check out this issue. Ah, thank you for raising that up, Toshi. Yeah, thank you. Um, I love you. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I have a big silly Look smile on my on face when she said that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Octavia's Parables. I'm like, we have turned the corner. Okay, Octavia's yes. Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We're produced by Kat Aaron, and our show art is by Krista Franklin. Music for Octavia Parables is Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. God is Change, performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan, written by Toshi Regan. Um, you can find us on Twitter at O Parables and sustain O by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash O Parables. And you can visit our beautiful website, readingoctavia.com, which was designed by uh, the collective and also to were awesome. You can go visit them, see that space for transcripts. Um, we also have some of our listeners who are compiling the questions into documents that we're also going to make available on the transcript page. Mm. So yay, we're, it takes yay, a whole y'all. village. All right. We'll see y'all next week for chapter 16. Peace. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is Water as fire as ice, God is changed, God is changed, that's when that water as fire.